Okay. I always like, I try to start, like I've said hey, this before, hey. I try to start them with something else, but I'm not going to say, hey, hey, hey. I'm not going to say that. Please do. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Hashtag History, episode 43. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And thank you all so much for joining us for another episode. This has already been a really fun season and is kind of already shaping up to be my favorite season yet. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, which is a difficult statement to make because... I mean, we've covered things like Jack the Ripper, the JFK assassination, Jonestown, and those are my jam. But I think what's different about this season is the actual literal season we are recording it in. This year has been all about waking the F up and opening our eyes to the atrocities that have been going on for hundreds of years. To quote our friend Stephanie from the Beyond Reproach podcast in an episode where she covered the Chinese Exclusion Act, she said, the thing about the past is that it is not the past. It's right here with us. And that's something that has been ringing true for me and I know many others all year long. I think this year has proven more so for me than any other year that I have been alive, just how little we've actually progressed and how far we still have to go. And so that's why this season is so special to me already, because for the people out there that feel they didn't get a fair education growing up or for the people that are are aware of just how awful our past is and that that past is very much right here with us today, I just feel super honored and grateful that we, through this podcast, have the opportunity to maybe shed some light. And hopefully some laughter during these tough times as well. Yeah, that would be great. I hope so. That would be great with all the awful things we talk about. I hope you guys can laugh sometimes too. Yeah, but I would agree. I think um, this season has been more meaningful oh, totally. so far um, than most of the other ones. Totally. I Because th- I think, yeah, I would say the other ones too were like almost more fun topics, which again, that's awful to say about like, like the JFK. Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown and the JFK assassination, but they're just like almost more fun in that, you know, there's all these conspiracy theories and uh, just very like high pop culture type topics. For and sure. now we're talking about like nitty gritty. Here are the things about history that we're ashamed of mm-hmm. that we try to ignore. But here we go. We're facing it head on. Yeah. On that note, we will be discussing today the American Indian boarding schools. I think most people are familiar with what they were, but for those that are not or those that need a refresher, American Indian boarding schools were government-funded boarding schools operated from 1860 to 1978 with the sole purpose of killing Native American cultures and forcing Native American children to assimilate to white Christian society. These children oftentimes had their long hair cut, their cultural clothing destroyed, their names changed, and contact and communication with their families severed. And if these atrocities weren't enough, the boarding schools were rampant with abuses varying from physical to sexual to, of course, psychological, leaving many of the graduated students scarred for life, assuming they lived long enough to graduate. Hmm. Now, all of that is horrific, and we need a drink. We sure do. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. All right. So this week's cocktail was hard. 
Yeah. It was really hard. Yeah. There aren't a lot of Native American inspired cocktails out there. And I think I can understand why. Why? Um, well, prior, uh, get ready, like buckle up because I've got some history to n- drop uh, on you. I'm ready. Okay. Prior to European colonization, some Native American tribes produced weak beers, wine, and other fermented beverages, but they had low alcohol concentrations, like 8 to 14%. Oh, okay. Yeah. And were used only for ceremonial purposes. Right. That was it. The distillation techniques required to make stronger, more potent forms of alcohol, like the one kind we drink mm-hmm. on this show, were just totally unknown to them. They had no clue about wow. them. Wow. And then came European colonizers <laughs> who traded strong distilled liquor like rum and whiskey with the native population and it devastated the Native Americans. Yeah, because they're not familiar with it. They, I mean, it, it ruins you yeah. when you're not familiar with it. Yeah, so not accustomed to its strength. Natives drank themselves into a stupor with the liquor provided to them by the colonists. Repercussions of this can still be found in today's Native American population, including shockingly high rates of alcohol dependence, binge drinking, underage drinking, and so on. Like The list goes on and on. And we're talking, this is something that has devastated the culture for now Mm -hmm. 400 years. Yeah. Wow. Like still to this day, there is a huge and it's not just it's not just a um, generalization like they really do have higher rates of um, of alcoholics wow. in the Native American in in, in some yeah. in many Native American communities. Wow. So for today's cocktail, I'm just steering away from any misrepresentation of the Native American culture. I didn't want to like do the you know pocahontas drink, pocahontas drink or <laughs> yeah. something like that yeah. and instead with the help of rachel uh <laughs> we picked a drink very simply called the pennsylvania since a lot of the story we're talking about today does take pl- place in pennsylvania i like it yeah thank you for good. that excellent yeah. no, it's good direction to go yeah yeah so this cocktail contains um cuban rum a dash of grenadine and then a half ounce of pineapple juice, and that's it. That's it. And I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be fantastic, and I think maybe this is something um, we're going to have to do on the rig. I'm saying that on even, the rig, on the rig, <laughs> even before we've tried it. Yeah, like this is going to be our new regular drink. I, I mean, haven't even taken a sip. Rum yet, and but, pineapple. How right, could you go wrong? You're, you're, and grenadine. Yeah, and ice cubes. Yeah. How could you go wrong? All right. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we're drinking pineapple juice. Yeah. And I did put a little more pineapple juice than the recipe calls for, but. It's fantastic. And it's, um, it you were going for like a layered look. It's still there. It's yeah. still layered. A yeah. A little bit. No, my, I mean, mine, I feel like is. It's definitely darker down here. Yeah. That's this where is... all the rum is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. I, I love it. Rating. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Like Seven. Seven. I'm liking the idea of this with our charcuterie board. <gasps> you saw that thing? At shar- yeah, I think you were smiling. Shark, shark cootie board. Yeah, I saw this uh, <laughs> this meme that like someone didn't know how to spell charcuterie. Which yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. Like one. I remember saying that to like Alex once, and he was like, "What did you just say to me?" I'm like, "You know, charcuterie or whatever." He's like, "You mean where you put cheese and salami on the same plate?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, and maybe some fruit." Yeah. 
Now, before we dive any deeper into the episode, I actually want to pause and give a shout out to one of our amazing listeners, Jill. She has been so supportive of the podcast from day one, has pledged above and beyond the standard $1 a month Patreon amount, and has also dedicated a lot of her time to the study of... I'm looking at Leah because Leah's the one that's known her forever and ever. Yes. I, I, bel- I know that Jill is like very invested in indigenous cultures, mm-hmm. Native American, the study of a Native American culture. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, I'm 90% sure, and she may correct me on this, but I'm 90% sure her um, degree was in like cultural geography okay. or something like that, particularly as it relates to Native American. Awesome. Yeah, culture. Yeah. And I know I've had like conversations with her about and stuff. She's very knowledgeable about this stuff. So we super appreciate her. um, And she was super helpful in putting together this episode. She lended me a really lended. She lended. She She lent. She lent. Lent me. That's not right. Right. Lended me. She lended me a. Yeah. She lent me a really. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) She lended slash lent me a really amazing book titled Native American Voices, and she also reviewed this episode for us for accuracy and to make sure we covered all major points. So thank you so much, Jill, for all of those things and more. Thanks, Jilly Billy. (laughs) I think let's start this episode off with a conversation about terminology. I'm referring throughout this episode to these boarding schools as American Indian boarding schools because that is historically what they are called. But I mean no offense whatsoever to Native Americans by my frequent use of the term Indian throughout this episode. We know the term Indian derived around the time of Christopher Columbus's voyage to what he believed were the Indies or India. So they then referred to the indigenous people here already that had been here for thousands of years prior to European conquest as Indians. We know now that the term Indian is generally used for people actually from India, so I intend to refer to indigenous people throughout this episode as indigenous or Native American, but will be using the term Indian specifically in relation to the boarding schools because, again, this is what they were historically known as. Got it. Okay. Just wanted to lay that foundation. Mm -hmm. Now that I've done that, let's get into this heartbreaking bullshit. Hurrah. Hurrah. At least there's an excellent cocktail to pair with it. True. White people attempting to destroy Native American cultures is a tale as old as time. And basically, what'd you say? Tune as old as rhyme. (laughs) Like, excuse me, what'd you say? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it basically began the very first day that Europeans arrived in America. But in the late 1800s, a new strategy was proposed to rid the United States of Native Americans that did not entail violence and war. This isn't to imply that violence was not still a reality, but this is just a new proposal that was made. It was proposed that it would be much cheaper and much less violent to assimilate Native Americans to white culture rather than continuing to fight them, and that this assimilation would be most successful if conducted among school-aged Native American children. This proposition already had government support. In 1819, the Indian Civilization Act Fund was enacted, which allocated federal funds to schools with the sole purpose of converting Native American children to white man culture, or in other words, total and complete cultural genocide. The first federally funded boarding school, Carlisle Indian Industrial School, located in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, was founded in 1879 by Richard Henry Pratt, a former Civil War officer. 
The school was operated out of an old military base, and Pratt ran the school like a military institution with the children marching in military formations from classroom to classroom. So he was really just like reliving his glory days. Yeah, yeah, I would say that for sure. Okay. Pratt ran the school under the motto, kill the Indian, save the man. Mm. And that was like a praised motto. Like what an incredible man this Pratt guy is because he he's trying to save the man. I think we do this really awful whitewashing thing with Pratt in history textbooks where we say that Pratt believed Native Americans to be equal to whites and that that was why he wanted to see them immersed in the English language and culture because he wanted to see them survive and have a good life. We see this narrative a lot in textbooks about Pratt. While I was doing my research for this episode, over and over, it was Pratt views them as equals. And, you know, he was one of the few people that took a chance on Native Americans, which obviously, clearly, he did not consider them as equals if he had to completely change them in order to make them as good as the white man in order to live successful Americanized lives. Yeah. He had zero respect for Native American culture and values. And so this argument that Pratt was a good guy that valued Native Americans and saw them as equal is bullshit, in my personal opinion. And you would be correct. (laughs) But if you read about him, I mean, if you just look up this guy online, you will see article after article about, you know, unlike other, you know, you know, other white Americans, unlike them, he didn't want to kill the Native Americans. He wanted to save them. He wanted to help them live successful Americanized lives. But in order to do that, you have to completely strip them of their culture, meaning you do not see them as equal. You do not respect them. You do not value them. Exactly. Native American students that entered the school had their long hair cut and were forced to change their names. The selection of new English names is particularly disturbing because Native American children were forced to choose these new names pretty much immediately upon entering the school. And of course, they don't speak English. They don't know what any of these English names mean or even sound like. And so there are stories of young children walking into the classroom on the first day to see a wall covered in English names, and they were forced to just point to one, and that would be their new name. I mean, can you even imagine how this felt as a child? It's devastating, not to mention the psychological damage that this ensues. Like I, just I, this, I can't even. No, you can't. We identify with our names. It's, I mean, it's heartbreaking. When Carlisle first opened its doors on November 1st, 1879, it had 147 students enrolled, the majority of these being the children of Plains Indian tribal leaders. Pratt's mission was to show the U.S. government just how smart and adaptable Native Americans were. So again, there's our whitewashing where Pratt was this fantastic guy. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, immediately upon entering the school, the children were forced to have their hair cut and styled like white Americans. There's a horrible story from a woman that attended an American Indian boarding school as a young girl in which she hid under a bed to keep the school administrators from cutting her long braids. They ended up dragging her out from under the bed and tying her to a chair in order to cut her hair off as a child. And it's like, for me, it would be literally devastating. Well, I mean, you it's, see like videos of of girls who choose to cut their own hair off or shave their head or and something. They cry. And they're crying. Like, it's, it, there's some weird emotional connection to hair. And I'm sure even more so when it's a part of your culture. That's exactly where I was going with this is like, for me, it would be devastating to cut my hair because I've had long hair my entire life. And I'm like, very... Uh, like, I worry about, like, even trimming my hair because I just, I like my long hair. Uh-huh. This, it was a part of their culture. It was a part of their spirituality to have long hair. 
Any tribal clothing, jewelry, or other personal or religious sentiments were destroyed. They were given stiff uniforms and forced to sit for horrendous before and after pictures. So here's one for you to check out now, Leah. Uh, (laughs) Wait. Hold on. I don't know if you... Wait, hold on. Can I zoom? A three-year difference is what I, there's. This is what he looked like when he entered the school, and I think it says as he appears three years later. Um, he's a Navajo, um, and he is a different person. Yes. For, for the biggest thing for me is his skin color difference. Uh-huh. I, I don't. It's hard for me to imagine that you can get that vast of a difference just staying inside more. Like I would assume. It seemed, I would assume they're bleaching skin. And, you know, I don't know much about that. I do know in, like, some of my research, I did see some unfortunate uh, stories about, you know, some lightening of skin, um, you know, physically using techniques to lighten the skin. But I also know that these pictures, uh, they would use, like, a filter over the lenses to lighten the skin. But yeah, I would agree with you. Other than, of course, like the what he's wearing. Oh, and yeah, yeah, cut. yeah. His skin is a different. Color. Yeah, the skin is just the thing that like stood out uh-huh. to me most. But um, yeah, his hair is cut. It's so sad. Yeah, um, it's super sad. I don't even know what else to say. Just that it's heartbreaking. Just that it's heartbreaking, and that that is a different human being. <sighs> Hey everyone, it's Rachel. We are just taking a quick break in the episode so that we can share with you one of our favorite podcasts. You've heard me talk about Stephanie from Beyond Reproach a couple of times already in this episode because we totally adore her. She and her co-host Tux, they host the Beyond Reproach podcast, which is a bi-weekly podcast that covers the most fascinating political scandal topics. So we're going to hand it over to them to share about their podcast, followed by an ad from our sponsor. Anchor. This is Stephanie and Tux <laughs> from the podcast Beyond Reproach, a show about political scandals from American history, but it's fun, we swear. The idea behind our show is that politicians and government officials are meant to be public servants and their behavior should be beyond reproach. But if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of politicians are total scumbags. So we decided to do a show where we drink period-appropriate historic cocktails while exploring some of the government scandals and shitty politicians of America's past. We are not historians. We're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach for some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. America's history is juicy. We just add gin. I mean, the connotation is clear here. When we think of before and after pictures, we think of someone showing off their weight loss or showing off their skin before and after using some new anti-aging product. Hello, I have plenty of those on my phone. (laughs) The connotation is that whomever you are in the after picture is a better version of who you were in the before picture. Yeah. And that's what these before and after images for Carlisle tell us, too, that who these young men and women were when they were dressed in their tribal clothing and long hair is less than who they became when their hair got cut and they were forced to wear a suit and tie. These pictures were used as a source of propaganda to show off to government officials and to the American people in general to say, look, see what we've done here. You can turn an uncivilized Indian into a civilized Christian man. Classes at Carlisle included studies such as English, of course, math, science, and geography. 
Boys were taught skill trade. Girls were taught how to cook and clean. Carlisle also had sports teams. And this is where one of the most fascinating stories of the Carlisle school actually comes from. Pratt founded the Carlisle Indians, which was the school's football team. And because this team was oftentimes outsized by the other teams they competed with, they had to come up with more creative ways to win the game. Many of the like trick plays that we see in football today, such as the handoff fake or the hidden ball play, are all plays that came directly from the Carlisle Indians. Oh, Isn't that fascinating? That is there's also cool. There's also this story, and I didn't do a whole lot of research about it, but I listened to it on a Radio Lab podcast episode a long time ago, so I might get some of the details wrong here. But the Carlisle Indians, again, they were like outsized by the other teams that they competed against. And so they had to come up with all these tricky things. And one of the things they would do, they created these jerseys that had like a felt, um, like brown, overly shaped piece on the front of Mm -hmm. their jersey so it looked like a football like on their jersey pretty much and so they were like the opposing team was always like oh god who has the football can't tell and so they ended up like banning that trick play but so fascinating like so much of what is in football today comes from the carlisle indians because they had to work smarter I also find it really interesting that they're trying to strip them away from this culture and then they name them the indians Oh, good point. (laughs) Good point. Well, I think because everyone knew, like, it was never, um, it was never going to be Harvard or Princeton or something where all these white boys were going. It was always going to be these are the Indians, but look how civilized they are. Yeah. One of the players on the Carlisle Indians, Jim Thorpe, would go on to win two gold medals during the Summer Olympics of 1912, and would also go on to become a professional football player. So that's a pretty cool legacy if there's going to be a legacy from this. Yeah, that might be the only positive legacy it has. Yeah, there's nothing else positive in this whole episode. Okay, Okay, so there was the high, bringing it back down low. Okay. In the nearly 30 years that Carlisle was in operation, the school would see more than 10,000 students coming from over 142 different Native American tribes, including Cherokee, Sioux, Cheyenne, and Chippewa. Carlisle would become somewhat of a model school used as an example when the U.S. government founded an additional 26 boarding schools. Simultaneously, hundreds of private boarding schools led by religious organizations, primarily the Catholic Church, also began operation, all in the wake of Carlisle's quote-unquote success. Mm -hmm. Across all of these boarding schools, children were forced to stay enrolled there for generally three or more years— This is three plus years away from their families and their culture. There might be the question of why would the parents of these children allow them to be taken away to these boarding schools? But oftentimes, of course, they didn't have a choice. Yeah. Either the government would force Native American parents to send their children away to these schools, or sometimes when Native American parents realized there were no other educational opportunities for their children outside of these boarding schools, they chose to send their kids to the school themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. But the results of this were devastating. Many Native American children didn't understand why they were being pulled away from their families. In fact, from the perspective of some of these children that attended the boarding schools and have since spoken out about their experiences now as adults, said it looked to them like their parents were giving them away. I would imagine that's what it felt like. Oh, my God. And then giving them away to... To someone that doesn't respect them, that in fact wants to change everything about them. Including, I mean, like from day one, we're going to cut your hair and change your name. That we will probably learn shortly, abuse them in multiple ways. Yes. Yes. Within, good good segue. Oh. <laughs> Within the walls of the school, 
Native American children were berated for their cultural beliefs and values, had Christianity shoved down their throats, and were told over and over again that their spirituality and their culture was inferior to that of white society. They were forbidden from speaking in their tribal language and, if caught, would be punished. These punishments could include having their mouths washed out with soap or being locked away with next to no food or water. The piece about being forbidden from speaking their tribal language is especially harmful because, you know, we see the damages of that today because there isn't necessarily always a corresponding English word to, you know, a Native American word. And so things get lost in translation. And then we, of course, lose all of that cultural knowledge. Beyond physical abuse, there are also some horrific stories of young girls being sexually abused by male teachers. And finally, worst of all, I'm going to have you look at a picture here, Leah, that I've not told you what it is. Um, It literally is just titled Picture, because I want you to tell me what you see. Oh, Jesus. It's gravestones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of gravestones. At a children's school. At a children's school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a cemetery at a children's school. There should never, ever be a cemetery at a children's school. Yeah. But this is the cemetery that is located at Carlisle Indian School for the over 180 children that died while they were students there. Over how how long was Carlisle? 30, you said? 30 30 years? years. 180. 180 children died. These children died from various illnesses such as tuberculosis or influenza. But if there is anything worse than the death of a child, maybe it's this. The bodies of the children were not allowed to be returned to their families. That's what I was going to say. How terrible that there is that they were all buried there. I'm sure that their parents probably have rituals and stuff that they would have wanted to do. And, And in addition to that, many of these parents didn't even know that their child had died until years and years and years later when the child never came home. Oh, my God. The bodies, like you said, the bodies of these children did not receive traditional Native American burials, which is obviously a really big deal. Rather, they received Christian burials. In the last two decades, many of these children have since been given proper Native American burials and relocation, but so many of the bodies remain unidentified. In 1926, nearly 83% of Native American children were in American Indian boarding schools. 83%. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't realize this, it was Yeah, this many. isn't a small problem. This affected... Every Native American child, I I would go so far as to say every, because if you're not in that 83%, you know someone that is. It could be your brother or your cousin or, I mean, it affected everybody. It is not a small scale problem. Wow. The unrealistic expectation of these students upon their graduation from boarding school was that they would return home to their families, to their tribes, and would essentially introduce white culture to the tribe and continue assimilation efforts there. But I'm sure you can imagine how successful that was. Young adults returning home that had been removed from their families at a young age, stripped of their culture, now had nothing in common with their relatives. For many, they faced cultural and language barriers. From years of brainwash, many of these recent graduates no longer respected the Native American culture, considering it to be inferior as they were trained to believe, and therefore no longer had respect for their elders. In light of these struggles, many boarding schools saw graduates actually returning to the school because that was now where they felt most comfortable. For other graduates, they found themselves in this no man's land with no place to call home and no one to call family. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Carlisle closed in 1918, returning again to the control of the army to be used as a hospital during World War I. 
It was later converted into a college campus, the U.S. Army War College, which is what still operates there today. And you can still find the graveyard of the children at that location today. Although Carlisle would close in 1918, private Indian boarding schools would continue to operate for the next several decades with the latest closing in only 1978. This blows my mind. 1978. That's like just over like just what, like 15 years before we were born? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Right? Right? Yeah, pretty much. Right? Because 10 years would be 88. Plus that a couple, right. Plus a couple years. It's, it's plus a couple <laughs> years. It's a little over a decade before we were born. Yeah. It's worth noting that Canada likewise operated hundreds of what they called Indian residential schools where they also attempted to assimilate First Nations people. That's what um, Canadian call, or term for Indigenous people is. Mm-hmm. They attempted to assimilate First Nations people to white culture. But in 2007, the Canadian government issued the Indian Residential Schools Settlement Agreement in which they formally apologized for the boarding schools and paid out reparations to the survivors. Ooh, reparations. is a hot topic. It's a hot button topic right now. Yes. Pretty much the only formal acknowledgement of wrongdoing on the part of American Indian boarding schools came in 2009 when then-President Obama signed the Native American Apology Resolution. This piece of legislation did indeed apologize for the atrocities committed on American soil toward Native Americans, but it did little more than that. Right. Which is pretty typical of American legislation. If you even get an apology, that is all you are getting. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just devastating. I mean, the the mental, emotional, physical, sexual, and psychological abuses that came from this devastating time period in American history, not to mention the devastating loss of culture and the disrespect for any way of life that is different than that of the white man. It's infuriating. Yeah, it is. And yeah, just circling back to that quote that, you know, Stephanie from Beyond Reproach made that we, you know, said at the top of the episode about the past not being the past, the past still being here with us today. We see all the time today, you know, cultural appropriation, uh, you know, people that continue to disrespect the Native American cultures because they don't recognize that these are still living, breathing cultures. And there are people that are still living, breathing and practicing, you know, their cultures. Mm. <sighs> All right. All right. Well, yeah, Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share those pictures that we discussed in this episode to our Instagram. And then all the sources used to put together this episode can always be found on our website at hashtag history pod.com. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, we would love if you would subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use. Share it with your mom. Share it with a colleague. Share it with a friend. And then give us a rate and review. What? You changed it up. Yeah, I changed it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Be sure to also check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. We are always doing some super fun stuff on there, including contests, live streams. We post all our drink recipes. All the pictures. Sometimes do trivia nights. Yeah. 
uh, sometimes just express how we feel about current politics. Yeah. We do all the things there. We do all the things. All the things. If you are looking for a way to support the podcast, you can check us out on patreon.com slash hashtag history, where you can donate just $1 a month to help us out with our booze and books supply. Thank you so much to everyone that is already doing that. And thank you, especially to Jill, who donates to our Patreon and again, helped us out with this episode. Yes. Thank you, Jilly. Um, You can also support us by heading to our website and purchasing some merch. I I still need to purchase our own merch, but it's so cute. I'm going to get to it this week. Yeah. We have face masks, mugs, shirts, tote bags. I think there's even a pillow in there if you want to buy a a pillow. pillow. If you want to buy a pillow with a banana on it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And we do have seasonal merch, which is only going to be there for, you know, probably a limited time. Hasn't really been determined yet, but you need to go check it out. There's a banana shirt. What else could you want? <laughs> yeah. And and we are have already had someone buy the banana shirt and seeing the banana shirt on someone is like kind of brings tears to the eyes. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> thank you all. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. I haven't asked Nico. Yeah, I was gonna say if you it. asked Nico to do it. Like he's hurt himself doing shit like Oh no, Alex one trillion percent has to. There was but so I'm confident Nico could untwist that. Yeah, especially since I'm pretty sure he's the one that did it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Family severed. What did I say? No, I'm just looking at your Oh, arm. I know. I know. <laughs> I looked at you like, it's like a dinosaur claw. Stupid. Oh. It was just like out of the periphery. Like, <laughs> stupid. <sighs> I. By the way, he just learned of my... Uh, uh, aged cheese thing. Oh. I thought he knew, but he literally just learned like this week oh. about my aged. How cheese. is he taking it? He thinks I'm gross. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of things Nico thinks I'm gross. He's for, like, that's so. disgusting. That is unhealthy. I'm like, no, I'm doing the planet a favor or whatever because I'm eating the cheese. No one else is going to eat. It's true. That's, so that was my argument. He's like, that's like making the argument of like, no one's eating the trash. I might as well eat the trash. Be real. There's lots of cheese that does not need to be refrigerated. Correct. Probably, probably not the kind you're eating. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one to judge. I like my cheese crusty. <laughs> crusty. <laughs> I didn't even say crusty like that on purpose. It was like my spit got stuck, so I was like crusty. <laughs> I feel so thirsty. You want water? No, it's okay. Okay. Glass of water a day phase. So, so I'm not, I just don't get thirsty. <laughs> yeah. My lips are chapped as I, I will bring you uh, after like a sentence of talking. I'm so thirsty. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Carlisle Indian Industrial School located in, why am I hard? Why am, why am I hard? <laughs> Why am I having a hard time? It's the water intake. And that's what these before and be rate rated. Berate, berated. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is also me. <laughs>